1993, Final Approach changed the way we hunt waterfowl. Now, over 25 years later, we're back at it. My name's Mario, host of the FA Podcast. Let's talk waterfowl tips, tricks, tactics, and more. It's all going down right here with the Final Approach Podcast. And this is why we don't hand out alcohol before we do a podcast so it doesn't go off the rails that very quickly. It takes a couple minutes, then we go off the rails. Another uh, edition of the FA Podcast. What up? It's Mario. And uh, special guest today, world class, uh, world renowned. <laughs> He's looking at me like I'm an ass. I'm such an ass hat. All right. Have you guys heard of David Beckham? We have David Bingham. God. <laughs> Bro, I had to. I haven't heard that one before. I know you haven't. Just like I haven't heard all kind of friendly jokes and whatever. Like, you just got to take it with it. Um, so, listen, this podcast is real, real uh, down to earth. And what we're doing is we're just basically, it's just waterfowl chit chat uh, with a hardcore waterfowler who has sees things a different way, comes from a different like line of work and, and all kind of other things. So, uh, I am busting his ass, but, uh, so David is an MLS soccer player and he plays for the Portland Timbers and I'll let him kind of give you his background on what he's, he's done. Cause he's basically been an athlete his whole life. So like, he's the poster boy when you like want to do like a fitted shirt, like he's your guy, he's your guy. He's in shape. He's got the tattoos. He's got the soccer player haircut. Yeah, he's the guy. You're the guy. I'm a guy, not the guy. <laughs> You're the guy. No, 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 no. I'm not the guy. Um, so give everybody, you know, give me a background, like, you know, because listen, it takes, I don't care who you are, it takes a lot of dedication to come all the way through. So as far as, you know, being a professional athlete, I don't care what you play, right? So you played what in high school? Like, did you just play soccer? Or did you play, what'd you do? Just soccer. Once you... Soccer is one of those sports where it kind of takes up your life. So once you hit like 13, 14, that's it. That's it. It's all you can play. You don't have time for anything else. So I used to play baseball. I think I played basketball for like one year. And then once you hit middle school, really, it's just soccer is like life consuming. It's 12 did, months a year. Did you did you like anything else? I liked baseball. Did you? Uh, I played a lot of golf when I was in middle school. Gotcha. Um, but... Yeah, soccer just takes up so much time. Did So let me ask you this. So do you love soccer or do you just – and I know it's a job now because, listen, guys bust my ass and say, listen, oh, you, you know, like you're in the waterfowl industry. Like you must like not want a waterfowl hunt because you do it all the time. And I'm like, yeah, you're nuts. Like you know what I mean? But because it's a job. Oh, it's a job. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I mean it is a job. Like let's let's be real. Yeah, it's a job. It's very cutthroat. Um, I can hear that. Yeah, it's a that's a very complicated question. I would say. I'd say, for the most part, we do love it. Yeah, you I have think, love for the game. Yeah, I think everyone yeah. who plays pro started up started off where they loved the game. They wanted sure. to play pro, and then you get you hit college, and then it turns into a job there. Then it turns into a real job once you hit the pros. Oh, yeah, and yeah, you love it, but also you see it from a different light or 
at the end of the day, you're working for a paycheck and it's very cutthroat. Right. It's very much, you have a bad day. That's okay. Like they're not, everyone knows everyone has bad days. Right. But you can't have two in a row. You have two in a row, three in a row, you're cut. Right. They'll get rid of you. They'll bring someone else in. That quick. Somebody will take your spot that quick. The next day. Yeah. They'll, they'll bring someone else in and yeah, I love it. But at the end of the day, it's a, we always joke around that ch chasing waterfowl is a grind. Yeah. The season's a grind. Sure it is. So it's, sure it is. You're away from your family for a lot of the year. Right. Preseason, you're gone for probably like 20, 30 days out of 45. Yep. Um, regular season starts and all the things that people like to do, like go out to weddings or go to big events and all these things, we don't get to do. Yeah, yeah, everyone, everyone works Monday through Friday. Well, we work Monday through Sunday. So we, right. we'll get random days off here and there. So an example is my fiance is going to three weddings next year. I don't know if I can go to any of them. Right. So it's just kind of... You might be able to. You don't know your schedule. You might get a, th a day thrown that you're off, and it might work, and it might not. It won't work. Right. Well, there <laughs> so you go. It, it, just, it, it is what it is, and a lot of our friends and family give up a lot so we can go um, play the sport we love, and it's, so, as I would say, it's the best job ever, but it's, it's challenging. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, some people would say, oh, well, you're not really working for a living. It's still work. It doesn't, you know, it's time. Like, like work is time and it's effort and it's stuff like that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's fun. It's still work. It's still a grind. You're still at it hard. You know what I mean? So, so back up to, to college, you went where? UC Berkeley. Okay. And you, you obviously were recruited to play there. I was recruited there from high school. Played at Berkeley for two and a half years. Left early because I got a contract. So I came. To go pro. Yeah, I took off after the end of my junior semester. And then where'd you go there? Straight to San Jose Earthquakes. Okay. okay. I was there for seven seasons. Gotcha. Then I went to LA Galaxy for three seasons, and then up here to Portland. Up here to Portland. Cool. You played in LA. I mean, that's a huge market. Yeah, massive market, totally different than San Jose. Oh, yeah. Totally, totally different. different than anything. Yeah, totally different but, than But Portland, Portland here, Portland's crazy for, like, soccer. They The fans are nuts here. Yeah, fans are great here. Um, yes. Probably the main, I'd say the main team in the city. I know you may say basketball, but I think we, we get a little rowdier crowds than basketball does. Well, um, I, mean, I mean, the Blazers, I mean, it's huge here. It's huge. But there is no slight against women's and men's soccer here is huge yeah the this is a giant this is a giant soccer uh state oh for sure i mean the thorns pack their stadium they get the yes. best fans in all of the all of their league shout out to them they just won the championship yeah they did so yeah they're killing it and when they play at providence they pack that thing just oh, yeah. like we do so um so the best thing about your season is it's overrate Kind of when waterfowl season starts, which <laughs> you so lucked out. Like, I didn't make this season, but I mean, it lines up perfect. Oh, it's, my God. We run usually second week of January, we start preseason. Right. And then we run through, on average, maybe the first week of December. This year, we got kind of lucky because the World Cup, so we finished earlier. We right. finished right after opening day. For, right. You're so for lucky. Oregon. So it lines up quite nice. Yeah, so now, so now you get to just, like, literally go chase birds yeah i mean and that's it so you know you know imagine having a job like that like listen i'm i'm not complaining because i i grind all year and but then i make sure i have time to chase birds like um that's what i do 
so I got time. But yeah, it's a grind the rest of the year, just like everything else. And I'm still grinding like during the season, but I make sure I make my days so I can go. There's no doubt. So, and lots of trips and everything else. So what, when did you, when did you get into it? Waterfowling or soccer? Waterfowl. I think I was probably six. My dad had a, had a pretty nice club up in Northern California. Yeah. <clears throat> I remember he made me carry a, a fake gun for a full year before I could go shoot. So I, <laughs> everybody I to, knows that deal. Yep. So I had to wake up early, um, chase all the birds with this plastic gun in my hand and yep. how to, how to get the, all the firearm safety down pat, um, how to take the, obviously the hunter course and everything. He said, if you miss more than one question, you're retaking it. Really? So it's very strict. He's, he was with law enforcement, so firearm safety was like n- number gotcha. one on, on, on the list. And I gotcha. luckily I only missed one on the whole test. <laughs> Got the license, didn't have to retake it. And then the following year we were, we were chasing. And then it started. Well, and listen, California is not a terrible place to start start the grind. I mean, there's... It's the best state. I mean, there's... Well, I wouldn't say the best, but you could say the best. I wouldn't say the best, but it's good. Like, people... It's people, underestimated. You know, I would agree. Like, they think they think California has a lot of birds, or they think they have decent hunting. But, like, like we talked about, like, the, the Butte Sink and, and that area and that, you know, some of the refuge... Uh, sections and I mean it's it's unreal the amount of money and clubs and properties pretty incredible I'd say it's the one state where the clubs and that you have some real high dollar clubs in California where guys are coming in on on choppers they have private land strips and it's the real it's it is like that now Now, you'd be surprised Utah is actually like that. Utah has a couple clubs that are really high dollar. It's too cold. Yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't have that crazy amount of dollar clubs here in Oregon. There's some in Washington. Well, you would know Eastern Washington. There's some over there. Uh, you know, there's, there's the Barker Ranch in a couple places. There's a couple up straight up I-5. And I'm sure there's there's others uh, in different places, but but yeah, if I had to put money down on where the most money is, hundred percent it would be there. California, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, million dollar clubs are a dime a dozen there, which sounds crazy, but but it is. But that's exactly it what it is. Yeah, you, you you would be like like you're not paying a couple grand to be in that club down there. Like oh, no. that's a, that's a no. You you get a seat in a rice blind that's not going to shoot for about two grand a, a seat, not a not a right. blind a seat. A seat, right? Yeah. You pay, yeah. Because when Steve um, from Cupped Up, uh, I know he would always say, yeah, we, you know, we get a tank for six or eight grand, so they'd have the pit for six, eight, ten grand, depending on how many guys are in it. You know what I mean? How many seats? Yeah. So they'd buy the whole tank, and like you said, you don't know if that tank's going to shoot. Uh, it's, it's totally different down there. Like you said, it's the rice, you know, it's the, the refuge rats running. Um, I, I lived there very briefly. I lived there for a year and I didn't, I didn't have a club. I, I hunted like Kern refuge up in Bakersfield. I hunted San Jacinto, uh, like the, in the, in the east, east of LA there, kind of Riverside and man, it's a, it was a grind. It was totally different. Yeah, the the southern or even the Central Valley refuges versus the Northern California ones, it's not even close. I no, mean, totally I, different. Northern California refuges are, I think, some of the best in the whole U.S. It's 
but it's I, the concentration. It's the concentration yeah. of, um, I would say, the amount of birds, the refuge systems around, and the properties that Order aren't. It. Yes, yeah. yeah, because you could have a refuge, and then you you have a couple clubs like down the road or a couple miles away. I mean, you're talking about the refuge, and then you're talking about the piece of property that touches the refuge on out for miles is clubs. Yeah. That's, That's what's insane. Yeah, in California, I mean, you have, I mean, you'll have three refuges within ten miles of each other. Yeah. Big, big refuges where they're, they're holding hundred, two hundred thousand snow geese on them at a time. Yeah, and not just one of them, two of them. Right. And it's just like you drive down the freeway, and for ten miles straight, all you see is grinds everywhere. You're just you're looking for them, and you're just chasing them on back roads, trying to find property that's not leased, which is not a thing. Not easy. Yeah. That's your, uh, that's your real love. We're going to get into the, we're going to get into the snows because that's something that, that I think keeps you up at night. Wakes me up early. (laughs) Uh, we're doing the FA podcast. Big shout outs to, uh, Federal Ammunition and Weatherby and the guys at Rogers Sporting Goods and our new partner, Leupold, uh, who keeps this thing going and, uh, Saskatchewan Goose Company, my buddy Tyler up in, uh, up in Saskatchewan, we're talking to uh, David uh, Bingham, not David Beckham. So he's an MLS soccer player, uh, and I, and I'll tell you how we got linked uh, real Dave. shortly. Uh, Steve Hawkinson, who's uh, a highway patrolman down in California. Steve and I have been uh, friends for a long time. I can't even remember, and they, then he ended up buying cupped up straps, and he does all the leather products and. We were doing a bunch of stuff with him on on that side, and then like last year, he says, "Oh, you gotta you gotta get with my buddy David. He's up there playing soccer, and he's got nobody to he, he's got nowhere to go hunting." And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, he's been there for like a year or two. He's, hasn't done anything. He just comes back down here." And I was like, "Well, that sucks for him." So then we started training dogs this summer, and we can get into nitro and the whole dog the dog circus, but uh snows that's what that's what does it for you like you don't mind i mean you'll shoot ducks and dark geese and stuff like that but that's the snow thing that's That's where the where did that come from just from being down there or what yeah i mean that's like the for me it's like the pinnacle of waterfowl hunting but it started off like probably like everyone else just chasing ducks around and then um one of my buddies got into shooting snows on the refuge and I remember I went out one morning, shot my ducks. I was back at back at camp, just hanging out, barbecuing. And then he comes in, he's going back out. And I was like, you want help? And he's like, yeah, you can come, but your dog stays here. I go, I go, you're spread your rules. Let's do it. Right. So put the dog back in the truck, grab the, grab the gun and bandolier, and off we go. And I think that afternoon we shot probably like 8 to 10, but we shot him at like 20 yards. I mean... Chasing snows on the refuge is def- is definitely different than chasing them in private fields and all. Sure, it's a, di- it's a different ball game, and and from that moment on, it was just it was on. And then over the next like eight nine years, you always start with like, oh, I got like ten dozen socks, and then you're like, oh, I got twenty dozen socks, and then fast forward eight years, and now you're like, I have a thousand full bodies and three thousand socks and two say, trailers. And, and it's like, I was just gonna say, I have a trailer now. I have two trailers now. I have it's like you have snow stuff coming out because listen if if you're gonna if you're gonna chase them and grind them and go after them like you you either you're either in or you're 
or you're out. Yeah, there's no half-ass. Like, you can't, yeah. you're not like, oh, I hunt snows a little bit. Like, yeah. you're not, and that means you don't hunt snows. No, that means you sell your stuff at the end of one year because you go out and you put it out twice and you get skunked. Right, and you get mad at them. Right? See ya. See, my, my love and hate for the snows runs fairly deep. Like, when we go to Canada or where we go to places where there are snows, uh, I, I mean, that's all I want to shoot because I'm so, you know, because they get you more often than you get them. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And it is, it is the, like you said, like you, you kind of said, it's like the pinnacle, the challenge. It's like the, it, it, you got to have it together. Yeah. You're waking up at 3am. You and your buddies are all, all waking up at 3am. Right. You're all meeting out the field. Like you said, I mean. Between I have a trailer, Steve and Ken have a trailer, and you're pulling them in the fields. And, and it starts. And it starts and, and it starts at 3.30. Yeah. Like, it's early. So, yeah. it's like, man, by, like, January, you're, you're already wore out, but you just, you just keep going. Because that's, it's the best. I mean, when you get 10, 20,000 birds right above you, you can feel it. They're so loud. It's oh, like, yeah. oh, oh, yeah. Man. It's just rumbling. The ground's moving, and you're just like, yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean that that that's what that's what gets you up chasing them and going. There's definitely it's definitely a different experience. It's a different feeling, you know. But the the level of work is through the roof. Yeah, way way more than anything else that oh, we do. Yeah, you see, like a lot of the big guys in the Midwest run those mic spreads of like fifteen hundred. A big spread, it's like oh my god, big spread thirty five hundred. I mean, on any given day, we'll put out between. 1,500 and 5,000 decoys. Put and then, them, but then pick them up. Put them out, pick them up same day. Yeah. Every day. We never never leave them out. And even if we're changing like 100 yards in the field, they all go back in the rigs and the rigs leave the field and let the birds come back in and, and off we go and do it all again tomorrow. Yeah, that's that's the, you know, that's the crazy part. Like you you have to do that. You have to be committed to it. I mean, it would it would be nice if if... You know, we were in a flyway where, you know, you constantly had that push through, like, coming south and coming north where you could, you know, you could have a couple leased fields and you could have the whole trailer or two of decoys out and you can run traffic. I mean, I think that would be fun, but you just, you're just not going to get the results. You know, it's feast or famine. It's, you know, I've done it through that central flyway and it's like, you know, you shoot 10, you shoot eight you shoot six then somebody shoots a hundred right then it's you never know how it's gonna go yeah the whole the whole mic spread thing for me it's like you're not even running traffic you're just hoping that they they want to rest and like versus like well we'll run traffic we'll find fields or where they're coming from and it's like well we can't get there but we can get here and this is where they're going right so we'll run like true traffic and i know they do some true traffic hunting up in washington but the mic hunting for me is just like you said, so hit or miss. You could sit there for four days and shoot maybe fourteen, and then you guys leave. The next group comes in the next day. Oh, bang! Three hundred. I know. And it's like, oh, my, what happened? Just and, and and listen, the guys that the guys that go and do that and pay for it, and the guys that run it, like they know they know what's going to happen. They already know. Like, listen, you're you're either going to hit them or you're not. Like, you're going to have a good wind day. You're going to have a weather day. Like, you're going to like you, it's impossible. So. But it's either, you know, if they don't do that, they're just sitting at home. So you might as well go do it. I mean, what, what else are you going to do? They got kitchens in those blinds, so. Yeah, let's go. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm all for it. Now, the thing, 
we, I'm trying to think if we did it last year or not. The thing that I would like to do eventually is I'd like to do a huge, like, sheet water into field spread. That, that, what you know what I mean? With, like, yeah. a ton of floaters. Like a and midday And then the socks. Roast. Oh, yeah. And just or like a loafing pond kind of thing. 100%. Like a, like, you know, get, get there at 6, right? Set everything up and stuff starts coming at, like, 10. And you're just throttling. That's called the refuge. <laughs> <laughs> Except there's, that, no, there's no field to it. We set up on the refuge like that. That I would like. All water spreads. If you're running full bodies, you're running like the 40 inch stakes that a couple the of tall ones, a couple yeah. companies have them. only like two have them because yeah. everyone's like, why do I need these? Yeah. Well, if you're crazy like us, yeah. if you're on the refuge and you're shooting snows over water, yeah. they bust out the refuge at shoot time. That's crazy. Our rule is grip and rip at the ducks the first hour and a half. And then wait. Get get the seven down, run back to the truck, drop them off, get shells. Come Around back. 9, 30, 10. They start coming back from the fields, and man, when you catch them right, they're coming straight down to water, and it, it's a show. Like, it's it's a lot of fun. You're not shooting them at 50 yards. You're shooting them at 20, 15. You're letting them land, trying to get more to come in, and it's like... Yeah, get the water to come in. You know, the thing uh, the thing that I noticed this year, um, Saskatchewan, so, you know, those, those birds will, you know, spread out a little bit coming down. Uh, lots of juvies lots uh and i don't know what like i don't know what your guys are seeing in washington and what everybody's seeing in california right now but i just we saw a lot of juvies and last spring we saw and i know it's i know it's saskatchewan so it's kind of a little you know east uh the amount of blues we saw was mind-blowing we don't see those i know unfortunately they come they go all down the middle we see a lot of, we'll get a lot of juvies, yeah. but I think you guys mop them up pretty good up there before they make it down to Washington and California. Um, but I'd be interested to see what, what, what this year's like. You know, there was, there was avian flu going through the spring. They weren't sure how hard it was going to hit, you know, the tundra and where they were nesting. I, I, I don't think anybody has really reported like a, like a significant loss. So I, I, I still think we're in you know, epic numbers as always, you okay. know, I think they're, I don't, they just skip Oregon. I don't know how they do it, but they go to Washington, they hit the Eastern part up there and then Oregon, they just say, no, thanks. They straight down to California. Bro, they've done it for as long as I live here. You can, it's crazy. I can tell you exactly when to sit outside on the porch at night, like third week of September, right around there, like 1920. Like I could, I could tell you exactly. And you just sit outside and about, 10, 11 o'clock at night, you just hear them come over at night. They never, you never see them during the day. Like, okay. very once in a while, you'll be like, oh, there's a group. But literally, at night, right over us, it's like we're the cursed place that they don't want to see during the daytime. No, they don't want no part of the state. No, man. no, they head right to Summer Lake, Thule, and get into California, you know. And they'll pass those this year because there's no water there. And the water level, yeah, it's there's tough, no, right? There's no water in a lot of the ag fields in Northern California. So a lot of the rice isn't planted. So yep. I think this year is going to be a different year than we're used to, but all the closed loads are flooded and all those refuges. So that will, so they'll have water. There. I think it's just going to either put them more concentrated in that one area or that it's going to like scatter them. 
but my feeling is it's going to be more concentrated because a lot of those fields that had water in them before, they don't now. Right. So they'll, they'll roost on the refuges, and I think they'll bounce out during the day. But, man, I think it's going to be a pretty epic year in Northern California for the snows, especially since they can't really hang at Modoc or Tule Lake this year. They're, they're not going to go farther south. They're just going to hang in that area. I think right. they're just going to jump around, and it should be – it should be pretty fun. I mean, I mean, honestly, we're we're dry right now at the moment. I mean, believe it or not, like you would you, I would never say that or curse it. But it's coming. Like we always get epic amounts of rain here, but we've actually been pretty dry. Which on a dry year, I'll actually I actually prefer a dry year here because it concentrates them more and it doesn't spread out. Because like you know, when you see January, you know, and there's you know five ducks in every puddle. You know, you can't, you can't chase them. Like, you're just hoping, you know, to pick the biggest puddle. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> really. And the biggest concentration. So, that's how nuts it is. So, uh, so yeah. So, you're deep in the snow game. But we're going to try to click. Well, we, we, we put you in, uh, you shot some illusions in California, right? Yep. So, you did that. We got you on. You hadn't shot Cathars or you have? Not here. Not here. Yeah. So we put you in the, we we put you in a grind a couple of weeks ago, which was pretty good. Yeah, they're they're, they're great big ducks. I mean, they are definitely they're... big ducks. So, Actually, they're just like black and white mallards. Pretty much. They're honestly. about the same size. They make more noise, but oh. it's fun. The the three here is a little interesting, but yeah, the yeah we they dropped us down from four to three. You know, it is what it is. Like the only thing I always say is, is as long as I get my days, I don't care what the limits are. No. Like as long as I get my days to go, as much as I can go, I go. And whether they give us seven ducks and three geese or this or that, like whatever they give us, I'll take it. So we'll we'll crunch them and we'll, you know, put them on notice and we'll go. So that's how we do it. So, um, so I guarantee you're the only. Are are you the only one on the team? that hunts yeah 100 yeah yeah i mean i mean the the and does everybody look at you like yeah that's the redneck there kind of i mean yeah yeah i mean my team is very latin based so like they, they no don't, they don't hunt they don't no, no concept yeah no concept i've had other teams where we've had some guys that like love to fish like oh big, okay loved like once training's done straight Fishing. straight to the water going for like large mouth or small like sure big fishing guys but no hunting guys ever on any of the teams not that i've played on yeah i knew one guy that hunted a little bit but he was more of a fisher too yeah uh it's big in like on baseball has a lot of guys that chase yeah football has a couple that chase also yeah but soccer is like soccer is a very foreign based sport yep so it's not so much like yeah for that well i mean you know you can go I can relate to that going back to, you know, the radio days and, you know, nobody understood that. No. No. Why do you get up at 3 a.m. to go sit in the freezing cold? They're like, what? I mean, when you say it like that, it doesn't make sense. No. But it's just what we no. do. Now, now, when I would make jerky and, and sticks, pepperoni sticks and, and you know, like, like a, a summer sausage or whatever and bring it to the office, it'd be gone. Oh, I take it into our. They'd be like, "This is amazing." It's yeah, like, it's like crack. Yeah, I took it into our, <laughs> our, our chefs, and I have them with like. Let's start it off with like 
um, me and my buddy Scott made a uh, jalapeno cheddar salami. Right. Took that in. Gone. Ten, ten minutes later, gone. Yeah. Like, All right, cool. Took in some. Uh, what? I th- took in some mallards because our chefs. One of our chefs was actually pretty big into like wild game at oh, one yeah? of his like past restaurants. Oh, nice. So he's like, "Well, you get duck." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Bring it in." So no joke, I'll bring it in, and like now that's here. Here, this. Oh, yeah, here. Okay. And I'll bring it in at the end of training. He'll have this like amazing duck dish cooked up, like amazing. So like I'll bring it into training all the time. I took him in some uh, some duck chorizo before I left, and oh, some duck sick. like I made a speck. Um, like hot Texas sausage. Oh yeah. Oh man, it like a hot link almost. Kind of, but just more like bulk, so you can make okay. it like a spicier hamburger or something like oh, that. Oh, like a ground. It was ground. Not like a. I got yeah. you. Not like a link sausage. I got you. And man, it's gone. Gone. They just disintegrate all of it. Oh, I'm like this is great. I go. That's why you wake up at three. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me. Um, so what's what's that like? You know, give you know, give us a give us a give us a look into like you know, being a professional athlete, meaning that, you know, cause listen, you're, when you're a kid, you, you, you know, want to be, uh, you know, you want to be a rock star. You want to be in movies. You want to be a professional athlete. Like, you know, so, so what, what give us a look in like, so you have chefs cook for you guys. Mm-hmm. And is that all the time? Uh, yeah, for, during the regular season, we have three full-time chefs at our training facility, and we get breakfast cooked for us, and we get lunch cooked for us. Um, and in, then home, and then home for dinner. Yeah, and then we get home for dinner. Right. Um, probably show up to the training facility between like seven to nine, depending on what part of the country you're in, based on weather and all that stuff. Sure. And then you leave generally between like two and five, depending on what time you're in. Um, and then preseason, you're running double days, so yeah, our chefs, our chefs, they work right. hard. Yeah, I mean, right. they're they're the first ones in probably to the facility every day. They're getting everything going, and then they're probably one of the last ones out too. Right. Well, and they're, I mean, they're they're catering to everyone's, you every, know, nutrition. Are they doing d- different dishes for everybody? They we have a buffet style. Sure. We have a couple guys on the team who have certain like dietary restrictions right and not to mention they don't just cook for the players we have oh it's everybody we have a big staff we probably have a 20 22 person staff and then we also have our academy uses the same building different times right our second team's in so like they're cooking for i'd say probably 100 200 people every day somewhere in there that's that's crazy yeah you know and 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 the thing about it is i mean you guys i mean so based on other teams uh you know like locker room the facilities like is portland pretty good on on that kind of stuff yeah i'd say we're definitely in the top like probably top six yeah in the whole league yeah our training facility is really nice yeah our locker rooms our locker room at the stadium's incredible yeah um we have two training fields right now i think they're going to expand it yeah. We have a super nice like gym, lounge, training room. Um, our setup's really, really nice. Yes. Yeah. Well, and 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 like we said, the girls' team, women's team. I I don't want to say girls. The women's team is incredible as well here. So I mean, you know, you're talking about two teams that use the same 
facility. Oh, they don't use the same facility. They use the same stadium. We use the same stadium. The women... But facilities are different? Facilities are different. I gotcha. Sometimes they come to our training facility. I gotcha. They, they base out of the stadium for the most part. I gotcha. Sometimes we go over there and train also. Kind of depends on the, on the game week. I gotcha. But for the most part... Because we both train so much, we're it's both constant, right? yeah, we're you separate. Be, right, you couldn't you couldn't balance that at one place. No, not unless no, you right. had like six or seven fields. Because right. you'll have the main team training on, like we'll be training on our field, but then we have guys that are injured or coming back from sure. injury. They're on the other field doing rehab stuff and sure. that kind of stuff. So it's a, it takes a lot of space to have. If you were to have the men and the women in the same oh, facility, it's crazy. Your facility would be huge. You'd yeah. have eight fields there. You'd have two gyms you'd have two i mean because you can't have 40 people in the gym the right you have double everything yeah right and the, and the cooking would be insane too like you you couldn't uh, do it like yeah it'd be, it'd wild. be nuts All right yeah that's wild i mean and then the travel the travel's pretty brutal for you guys i mean you're you guys are on the road like you said a lot and it's like you know everybody you know everybody says oh man that would be awesome you know traveling and doing that but it's got to wear just you know it's, physically mentally yeah yeah it's a lot i mean I was, you travel so much yeah you, you travel for work like you get to the hotel you don't leave the hotel right like we'll we'll train in the morning get on a flight go to the next city have dinner go to bed wake up train train play the game <laughs> go from the stadium back to the airport fly out right sometimes we get home early which would be like 1 a.m right and a lot of times we'll get home between like 2 and 4 30 in the morning right and then up again, tra- going training, drinking. training the next day at like yeah. eleven a.m. Yeah. Talking to uh, David Bingen, who's an L- MLS soccer player here in uh, in Portland on the Timbers. Uh, we're doing the FA podcast. He's a hardcore waterfowler. He's been into it for a very long time. He loves chasing snows. Um, and then and then we're gonna talk something that that both of us share. Well, you you definitely do more of it. I'm still like a little Padawan in the dog in the dog training side. You know, James, my buddy James has has trained the dogs uh, prior to Jet. Uh, helped me do basic on Jet. He did force fetch on Jet. Uh, but this last year, you know, I mean, I put a lot of time. I put a lot of time in a Jet this year. So. Um, he's still learning. You have Nitro, which he has, does he have any titles right now? Nothing yet. And you're, you're going to, or no? Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to do the whole, uh, or what are you going to do? Are you going to do field trials or what are you going to do? Probably going to put him in field trials. Um, we train pretty much exclusively for field trials trials right now. Right. Um, I think this year, I may just throw them in Masters just to get it over with, get it out of the way, um, knock that out. But main focus for Nitro, apart from chasing chasing waterfowl, is field trials. Right. Yeah, he's 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 out of he's out of California, right? Or where's he out of? Yeah, he's yeah, out of California. He's out of one of my buddies. Um, he had a super young qualified all age male, and then. The, the bitch for Nitro yeah. is my dad's dog sister. There you go. Because it started with your dad on the dog stuff. Yeah, my dad ran dogs. Since right. I, I mean, before I was born, he had mastered. Right. And uh, I like the dogs to be 
pretty high rolling. Oh yeah. So, so all the dogs are out of, obviously like all the field trial champions and national champions and everything. So the female side of the breeding is is hot. Like they very hot. They're rollers. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Nitro's a hot. He is he is a hot dog. He is geared for it, and and he's just uh, you know he's built for it too. Like I always talk about, like he's tall, he's long, he's uh, he's he's freaking long. Like when he fast. strides, you're, well, fast is like an understatement. Like when he strides, like he's taking he's taking one stride and Jet's taking two, like maybe three. Yeah, I I mean Nitro's like a like a I would call him like a it's a racehorse. Yeah, I mean he is he is hundred percent built for that. So Jet Jet's not built for that. Jet Jet's got little stubby legs and he just goes fast. He's he, perfect for chasing <laughs> birds. Me and my uh, I was out training this morning with uh, his name's Telus Calhoun. He's probably one of the most experienced field trial trainers probably in the country. And we were talking about just high rolling dogs, and everyone's like, "Oh, that dog looks good. He's got style. It's this and that." Right. And they always go like, "Well, why do you stop him so early?" Well, if you don't, he's fifty yards past where you want him to stop. They yeah. go, everyone wants like the flashy dog and the stylish dog until you have one and you realize what it takes to like control him, and it's a different ball game. Yes, yes, it's uh, it is on the trainer and on the handler to like keep the the chaos organized because there's a lot of chaos going on trying to take all that energy and say yes don't get that bird at 10 yards i need you to get the one at 200 yards and not the one right in front of you yeah not the one flapping not the one nothing i'm i'm sending you like you know i mean the thing you know i don't know i've learned more and more i mean you just learn constantly on the dog side of things and it's just like you know always putting them in a, you know, now we're into a, a position where we're putting, you know, I'm putting Jet in situations where we're trying to make him screw up so he has to do the right thing and we're trying to make him fail and have him learn and all this other thing. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're progressing. So I don't know. He, he does enough for me. I don't, I don't think I'll trial. I don't, I don't think I'll go to that side. I, I don't know. You know, could he probably do it? Probably juniors and, you know, whatever else. He could probably do whatever. Uh, I don't know if I'll do that. Once we'll you see. start. Well, yeah, well, that's another thing. You're either in or you're not in. And once you start, it's like, it's yeah, you're in. Too. Right. It's like, oh, right. man. Right, you're in. Because I think you take Jets to juniors, he would just walk through it. It's so easy. Um, yeah, and then you're going from that. Then you're going from that. You're going to seniors, which is off lead, going to the line. Right. You're doing a pretty simple double, simple, right. simple, pretty simple blinds, um, land and water. Then you get into masters where you can do some walk-ups, triples, double blinds, poison birds, all the fun stuff. Oh yeah, honors. Yep. Um, all of that. But tell people this: like, if you have a good gun dog, like a, a very well-trained gun dog, they would go to those tests and hammer it. Because gun dogs, in my opinion, have better control. The good ones, not all of them, but the good trained gun dogs, are more in control than a lot of those trial dogs sure because you're asking them to do stuff that in training for trials you would never do yeah like if for example if you're going to shoot a flyer in a competition and then run a blind generally the flyers can be like 80 100 yards away right maybe 60 whereas today in training i was like yo just go like 20 yards and make a big splash in the water right in front of us right because i need to pull them off that get them on a blind 200 yards away 
then I'll come pick that one up right. and do that. Where child people would never do that. They, it would drive them crazy. Correct. Well, the thing the thing that I've noticed in in what little, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what, what I've noticed is if you have the hunting dogs can transition into the field trials easier than the field trial dogs can go to the hunting side. Yeah, I would say for the most part. I would say if you if you're in a field trial, I would say less than five percent of those dogs ever chase Hunt. waterfowl. Yeah, correct. Ever, ever. Correct. That's what I, that's um, what I'm saying. Like you don't see that. You know what I mean. You don't see that. It's because you go through hunting season, and basically all your like the trial work gets messed up. Oh, yeah, and then you screw them up during hunting season. And then sure. trial starts in March, so you don't right. have time to get them back to right. To so trial then you shape. don't even hunt them. So then a lot of those people. Well, and also a lot of those people don't even train their own dogs. A lot of the dogs in the wintertime goes off to pros. Right. The dog comes back to the handler, and then the handler runs the dog. They don't train right. the dog. They run the dog. Right. Then it goes back on There's the truck. a difference. It's different yeah. from running a dog to training a dog yes. to teaching a dog. Yeah. There's very different things. And a lot of people, it's a lot of time, and it's not as fun to teach a dog what you want. Versus going out and training a dog, which yeah. you just walk out to a setup, you throw a double, they do the double, or they don't do the double. They, right. It doesn't matter. They put, they're only running once. Right. Dog's back on the truck and off and they that's go. That's it, right. They're not teaching concepts necessarily. Right. They're just training, get out of there, versus the pros to get that dog. Then they have to teach them all the concepts. Right. To get them to compete again in the for the next year. Well, and, you know, Robin, so Robin Rawls, who was here, Robin's done training, but but Robin was the first one to help me with the first dog, him and James, and, and Robin would run, like, he had the dog truck, and he'd have, whatever, 12 dogs, 10, 12 dogs, you know what I mean, and that was his whole year, Oh yeah. you know what I mean, that was his life, hardly hunted, you know, ran the dogs, all the dogs that were on the truck, never hunted really, right, um, he had, I remember he had a couple guys from California, he had their dogs, he had Tom Selleck's dogs for a while, and it was like these guys buy these dogs for enormous amounts of money. And, and it's like a horse, you know, like they never do anything with it. They just want you to go win with it. Yeah. It's like you said earlier, they're a Kentucky racehorse. That's how the best way yeah. to describe this to someone that doesn't know. Yeah. If you have like an FC, FC, AFC, all those dogs, there's over 200 grand in training into that dog. Yeah. Like people don't realize how expensive oh. it is. Like it's outrageous. Uh, Robin had, oh God, I think Diva was her name. I think Diva was her name, I want to say. And I remember him telling me that some guy, you know, at one of the trials or whatever, was just like, you know, what do you want for the dog? And he's like, she's not for sale. And he was like, here's a blank check. Like, what do you want for the dog? And he was like, she's not for sale. You know, that to me is like insane. That that's the that's the like horse race side that like you know oh, what I yeah. mean? that's the side like you said that's so crazy that happened to me not to that extent I was off training it was during the season so my dad was training my first dog Bandit mm-hmm. he was out training with his group and Bandit was a high roller too right very smart dog pretty stubborn sure but very smart probably I'd say a better thinker than Nitro is on okay. on different kind of setups they're and, all different but yeah. And Nitro is more of like a linebacker. Point him in the line and a whole hammer. Run, and no hammer. Right. Bandit was more of a thinker. Right. But my dad calls me. He goes, well, 
I think you're going to say no, but someone just offered to buy your dog. And I was like, no, nah, I'm all set. Thanks. Yeah, and okay. he's like, do you even want to hear? I go, sure. He goes, he offered 20 grand. And I go, that's great. No, thanks. He goes, do you want me to go back with anything? I go, no, no chance. Like, yeah. I'm good. He goes, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Went back and they literally, people will see a dog and they'll, they'll write a check. Like yeah, you but said. Yeah, but 20 is like, honestly, on a dog like that, 20 is like an insult. Well, he was also like a year and a half. He yeah, was, but, he was young. Yeah, but still, you know what that dog's gonna be, yeah, and like, how much is in him. Like twenty is an insult. He could have wrote a hundred. I would have said no. Well, it's, right. It's That's like my I'm best saying. friend. Like right. I'm not selling my dog, but I've right. seen seen guys literally raise like a lot of these derby dogs in field trials. Yep. The rule is like five to ten grand a point. Yep. So if these guys just go out on trial for a year straight, yep. well, if they have twenty points, you're looking about a hundred grand, maybe more. That's crazy. And people just write a check. And heaven forbid it, if it's a golden or Chessie, triple it. Right. They'll just because of they, it. Right. Just because you don't see them that often. And it's like, man, you get like a, a golden to FC or a Chessie to FC, you can. You can write your ticket. Right. If it's a male, you could sire them out every single oh, week yeah. for oh, like yeah. ten years. Well, and there's always been there's always been that, you know, there's always been that that chocolate discussion. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen a lot of chocolates, and just my experience, but, you know, they're either, they're, there's no in-between. They're either a, a, a smart dog, or they're absolutely incapable of uh, just about anything. And, you know, listen, I understand. It's, there's no bad dogs, there's just bad trainers, but sometimes there is bad dogs. <laughs> <laughs> that you just can't, they just don't have it in them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's... On the breeding. There's less numbers of quality chocolates. Mm-hmm. There's less numbers of quality yellows than the black labs. But there are some badass brown dogs out there, some badass yellow dogs. My buddy actually runs a couple of them. He he actually runs majority of like chocolates yeah. just to go up and and do it. And do it. And right. he he runs very good chocolates. Nitro's dad's a chocolate dog. I got gotcha. you. He's brown factored. I got gotcha. you. Um but yeah, there's way less numbers of them yes so it's just like trying to find a like you said a good one from quality breeding a it's gonna take you a lot of time yes it's gonna take you a lot of money Money. and then you're gonna have to wait honestly probably for a year or more because those breedings usually sell out over a year in advance yeah so yeah you're gonna have to get in line for that and try to figure that out oh yeah 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 there's there's you know this the, the the whole the whole waterfowl everything about it the tradition the dogs the grind the the whole thing there's so many facets of this you know it's just uh i don't know there's nothing else like it there's it's like the only thing i always come close to and and say it is like the archery guys because they have so many different things they can kind of work on you know what i mean so because there's a lot to do there's a lot there's a lot of shooting involved there's a lot of like training involved you gotta you know, i don't know and plus they're crazy they're just Almost as crazy as us, but no. almost, almost no. They have less gear than we do. Yeah, we just laugh. We just laugh. We have trailers upon trailers of crap. It's true. All right. Anything else you want to hit or uh, say hi to anybody or do it like you know? I think I think that's a, that's a good quick little summary until yeah. until those snows get down here. They don't have a whole bunch to say, and it's usually yeah. not a lot of positives, honestly. But <laughs> see if we can find them. All right. If you uh, if you want to take a look, uh, if you want to learn more about David, you could hit him up. You could look at his uh, the Timbers page, the Portland Timbers. 
Uh, you can say, you could when you walk in to get a haircut, you could say, I want to get a haircut like oh, here we go. David. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, if you need anything on the FA side, you know where to hit us up. Uh, FABrand.com. Uh, we're in Canada, FABrand.ca. We have international distributors no matter where you are uh, in what country. Take a look on our website on the bottom. It'll tell you who has our gear. Um, if you want to check out our social pages, do so. The YouTube web series, uh, The Last Pass, we're in the second season. And some pretty cool episodes are coming up where we head to Europe, finally. We've been holding back on that uh, trip for a while because of COVID and everything else. So lots going on. So, All right, so big shout-outs to Federal, Weatherby, uh, the guys at Rogers Sporting Goods, and Leupold, as well as Saskatchewan Goose Company. That's the FA Podcast for today. I'm Mario. I'm out.